awareness of the crisis. This has gone beyond cataclysmic. Throughout the rest of the day, we have a pop-up storm here or there, possibly. Otherwise, heat is on and it continues. Most areas unabated. Feel like temperatures are well into the 100s. Now, the rain chance is coming in tonight early. Come back a little bit for the morning, but a stronger chance of afternoon storms returning Wednesday and likely thunderstorms for the afternoons Thursday and Friday. Low to mid-90s, overnight lows of muggy 80 or upper 70s. Tomorrow afternoon, low 90s with a good chance of rain all about the area. Ralph Sanji, WGSO. Rico's Tires and Wheels offers quality used tires. They fix flat tires too, and they do wheel repair. Rico's Tires and Wheels, just a few blocks south of Veterans, 2609 David Drive, Metairie, 504-455-5199. Rico's Tires and Wheels, quality used tires. They fix flat tires too, and they do wheel repair. Just a few blocks south of Veterans, 2609 David Drive. On this very beautiful Tuesday, I'm Marianne Fitzmorris, and I'd love to talk food with you. Is Julianne there? Yes. Is she there, Patty? Hey there. Okay, I'm sorry, Julianne. I have to put a disclaimer out before we speak. Guys, this is a chick interview. (laughs) Jane Austen is for girls. I, I, I don't know, Julianne... Is that something that you would say for sure? I mean, do you know many guys who are into Jane Austen? Absolutely. And so, guys, please do not shut off your radios. There are many men <laughs> into Jane Austen for the literature, the uh, really? time period, really? the history. Absolutely. No kidding. Okay. Well, I have a long history with Jane Austen. I am very much an Austenite. And uh, and if uh, there are guys that are interested in this, that's great. This is a a food interview, but it comes with the passion that uh, that women in particular have for Jane Austen. And I am kind of fascinated from an historical perspective about the way people lived back then, and uh, I'm very glad that we live with the kinds of kitchens and things that we have now. But what you're you're American obviously. So how did you get into this? Well, actually I have also a passion for Jane Austen and I love to write, I love history and I love to cook. So dining with Jane Austen was an attempt to put all my interests together. And Jane Austen was also interested in food. When you look at all the food references in your letters, you can see she was quite a foodie. And when you put those letters in sequence, you realize you can tell the story of her life through the foods on her plate. And that's what Dining with Jane Austen does. Okay, so the reason that Julian is on, I didn't even say that, is that she has a book called Dining with Jane Austen. This is not your first book, though, is it? This is, you have no. a couple of, of historical Jane Austen type books, right? 
I have a couple of historic books, um, and yes, another Jane Austen type book. So I do have Love Lore, Symbols, Legends, and Recipes for Romance was my first book a long time ago. Then I have a food book based in Kansas City because that's where I live, and we have an historic farmer's market. So I did a book with our local farmers uh, in through, cooking through the seasons of the year. And then just out in the U.K. and due out right now in the U.S., I have Martha Lloyd's Household Book, the original manuscript from Jane Austen's Kitchen. And that is the household book, which is like a cookbook, but it also has home remedies and livestock and human cures. That household book was compiled by Jane Austen's closest friend who lived with her as she was writing or revising her novels. In fact, a number of the recipes in that book I modernized for dining with Jane Austen. So that's a source I've been working with since 2012. So um, the the person I thought it was her sister that lived with her. It's it was just a who was the what was the woman's name? It was a friend of hers that lived with her. Well, you are right. Her sister Cassandra did live with her, but the but Chawton Cottage has several bedrooms, and Martha Lloyd was Jane and Cassandra's mutual friend from the time Jane was thirteen and Cassandra was sixteen, and Martha was twenty three. They lived in the same area and became close friends. And Martha's, uh, Jane's mother lived, and Jane and Cassandra's mother lived in Chawton Cottage, too. So Chawton Cottage is the home we most associate with Jane Austen. It is in Hampshire, Hampshire County. It's about 20 minutes from Winchester, just outside of a small town called Alton. And that is a world-renowned Jane Austen site. And if you just look at the signatures in the guest book, you do see people from around the globe have visited Jane Austen's house. That's how popular her novels are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I went to her when she lived in Bath, as they like to say. They, they specifically tell you to say it that way. It was, a, it was a museum, but not a very big one. And a really kind of rather disappointing. Have you been there to that one? Well, that is the Jane Austen Center is very much like a visitor center, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and it gives you an idea of Jane Austen's years uh, in Bath, and she lived there from 1801 to 1805, and actually um, in 1806, actually, she moved to, excuse me, she moved to Southampton. So it gives you a flavor of her years there, but um, it's not exactly, it's not her house. It's just a, a row house um, uh-huh. on Gay Street where where Jane did live for a very brief period of time yeah. on the street, but not in that house. Yeah, I, I felt like it was, um, it was disappointing because it does not... It, it doesn't give you the character of what she wrote about, which was the country house. And um, it sounds like uh, Martha was her Charlotte Lucas, maybe. I think very much she was a dependable and true friend like Charlotte Lucas. I say in my introduction to my Martha biography that uh, Martha seems content with her circumstances like Charlotte Lucas did. But Martha to Jane was also a close friend like um, Miss Smith in uh, Persuasion. And she gave good advice like the governess, Mrs. Weston and Emma. 
So she has some characteristics of many of Jane Austen's characters. And Martha was also close to Jane's sister, Cassandra. So those three women had much correspondence during those years. Even though they lived together, they would travel to visit family members in other parts of the county and other parts of the country. And so there were lots of letters back and forth, which tells us a lot about their relationship and their interests and their opinions. Yeah. So, um, so is, are, are you a journalist in general, or is your particular bent toward food? How did it come to be that you were going to write a book about Jane Austen in food as a focus? Sure. Well, um, I'm trained as a journalist. I'm a journalism major, and I have written for um, newspapers and um, I've also, I had a career at Hallmark Cards, so I'm a journalist and editor, Um, but I've always been interested in cooking, and I had enough interest in literature to take quite a a large amount, quite a deal of it in college. I didn't double major, but I almost could have. Um, And then right after college, I discovered Jane Austen and started reading her and became hooked. So as I said at the start of the interview, this just combines all my interests. I'm interested in food history, um, considered a food historian. So again, this work combines all of my interests under one umbrella. So you didn't get you didn't get Austin Austinified until after college, right? I was not wow. exposed to Jane Austen being a journalism major, and I never had Jane Austen even in high school. It just didn't, and no, Jane Austen was never assigned. And wow. actually, I'm I'm one of those people where I saw a PBS uh, adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, fell in love with it, and immediately went out and got the book, read the book, turned it over, completed it, and read it again. I know. So, and then I read all <laughs> her other works, and then I became enamored with the letters, Deidre LaFay's well-edited collection of Jane's letters that give you a lot of um, insights into the author's life and, Mm -hmm. in some people's opinion, show some of the inspiration for her novels. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, she wrote her life is what it was. You know, she wrote all the people around her and they became characters and it was just this wonderful, simple, and I mean, I'm sure it wasn't wonderful. I mean, it must be terrifying to be like in Charlotte Lucas's place where you have to marry someone like Mr. Collins in order to survive, you know what I mean? So there were definitely stresses in that life, but um, but it was, uh, it, it's definitely a glimpse into another time that is certainly simpler and uh, fascinating, I think. I've always thought it was a fascinating thing. Let's, uh, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with Julianne Gehrer, who has written several books, but the two that we're going to talk about today are... Um, Martha's is it Martha's Kitchen? What the two books Martha that are Lloyd's, Martha Lloyd's household book and Dining with Jane Austen. And we're going to talk about the kinds of foods that were in the kitchen at that time in Jane Austen's house, 
where she lived with several other women. It was like a, a hen party, I guess. 5569696 is the number. We'll be back after these messages. Have you ever eaten something new and wondered where it had been all your life? We thought that about Double D Sausage after having it at a friend's house. But restaurants all over town serve it in their gumbo, red beans, and jambalaya. It's made right in Bogalusa, and the company is in its third generation. Double D Sausage is a light smoke pure pork sausage with notes of sage and other spices. Try the regular mild and hot and new flavors like the Cajun variety and jalapeno and cheddar. Double D Sausage in stores all over town. The best meals always start with the best ingredients. If you're cooking seafood, the best ingredients are at Mandeville Seafood. All local fish, Louisiana shrimp, oysters, crab, crawfish, wild salmon, and Dungeness crabs with a little notice Mandeville Seafood can get anything in the seafood universe you may want to try. Mandeville Seafood, celebrating 25 years. Autumn in New York, why does it seem so inviting? That's my husband, Julian. He likes to sing, and we have him doing the bumpers in and out of the commercials for the show. The melodious voice of Tom Fitzmaurice. The show has been around for 33 years, so the audience knows him and, you know, would love to hear that, as I do every time we come back from a commercial. All right, so what what was it like to be in the kitchen in that time period I mean, you'd see pigs running outside and chickens. So um, what was it like to cook foods that you probably had to kill yourself before? Well, I think there's a lot that we take for granted today that is assumed even when we look back at the recipes. For example, their flour would be called for. But many times the cook would have to dry the flour by the hearth because there was a lot of steam in the cooking environment and a lot of dampness in the air. The temperature was not controlled like you have in our houses today. So the flour would get moist. And so many times you'd have to dry the flour before you could use it. If you wanted to um, have sugar in a recipe, you would need to break it off the sugar cone and grind it up in a mortar and pestle. Spices you might be able to get from the local apothecary. Many of the herbs you would get from your own kitchen garden. So you would be growing some of those ingredients. And yes, some of the animals on the farm would end up on your dinner table. If not, you would get them from the local butcher. Um, When you mentioned the chickens in particular, that was a typical female duty was running the poultry yard. And, you know, it's funny that you call this a hen party um, because really it's a primary responsibility for women. When you think about it, uh, livestock has a particular butchering season depending on the livestock and game, wild game, there are particular hunting seasons. But poultry, the meat and the eggs, that's the only area of the working farm that provides food for the table year-round, and women are responsible for that. So mm-hmm. it's a very important duty to have. Wow. So uh, who did the cooking? Was it, uh, it, it sounds like in Jane's uh, house that it was a shared duty among all the women. But if you were living in a more traditional house, what I always found interesting about the Jane Austen books was that 
it was it was assumed and you were expected to believe that the people the central characters were not wealthy at all but just ordinary folk but they had a full staff of servants did you ever think that was odd well let's first talk about let's correct a couple of, of assumptions there First, um, in Jane Austen's house in Chawton, there was not a shared duty of the cooking. They had hired women to do the cooking. One of them was named Little Worth. Now, Jane would make the breakfast because it was simple, and she would put toast on the hearth and make the tea. So that was pretty easy. Um, but there was always a cook who would actually do the actual cooking. Now, women were responsible for running the household, so she would manage the cook and she would manage the, scul the scullery maid. Um, and if she were in a large house, she would manage the entire staff. So Jane does often write of the Midland sort, but she also writes of the aristocrats, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, for example, in mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice. Um, mm -hmm. She also writes of, pe writes of people who are somewhat below the Midland class. Um, mm -hmm. So she writes about a number um, of different classes in particular in persuasion you see the emergence of that middle class with them being able to afford more goods because of the wealth they've earned through trade mm -hmm. so there are quite a few different classes that jane writes about and no she was not really cooking in the kitchen nor was martha okay but they did uh, did they the recipes did did they come up with the recipes or they just collected the recipes from the cooks and and wrote the book based on that well they didn't collect the recipes from the cook what they did is they shared recipes among their friends and their relatives and they may have also borrowed books from the local circulating library. There were several prominent cooking luminaries at the time, Hannah Glass, Charlotte Mason, Elizabeth Raffles, that, that created popular cookbooks. Now, books were expensive, so if you couldn't afford to buy one, as we can today, we can buy many of them, but then you could have a subscription to the circulating library. And so you could check the book out. You could write some of these recipes in your household book. And then when it came time to, to order dinner for the week or for the day, you could tell the cook, I want to do beef a la, a la daub or a rico mutton or cabbage pudding. And you could copy out the recipe and hand it to the cook. Now, what's different about Martha Lloyd's book is there are lots of splatters and stains, so it's quite possible that book saw some action in the kitchen. But Jane's elder brother, uh, 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 Edward Knight, excuse me, he was first Edward Austin, but he later became Knight, he ended up inheriting two large estates. Their cookbook is pristine, so they are probably doing what you see in the front of the piece of Hannah Glass's The Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy, someone is copying out the recipe to hand to the cook. Mm -hmm. So um, it's possible some of these recipes were in the family for generations and generations. Martha's book looks like she started it, and then after she died, one or two people added a recipe or two. Mm -hmm. Other times, you'll see a household book where it has been handed down through generations of women. 
And there, uh, there are a couple examples of that. One is within the Austin family on Jane Austen's father's side. So it just depends on the family whether or not they kept a household book large enough to be added to and handed down between the generations. So what sort of things are in the book? What kind of food was eaten? What's, what were popular dishes back then? Sure, sure. Well, as you can imagine, there was a lot of meat, both beef and lamb and pork, a lot of poultry, and venison. Now, venison is a dish of the aristocrats, but uh, Jane and Martha could get venison from Jane's brother, Edward, because he had a lot of land, and then he had the right to uh, to hunt the deer on the land. There are lots of vegetables. So even though the diet was heavy in meat and eggs, there are a lot of vegetables that are either fresh from the garden or preserved by potting, drying, jugging, etc. Then there are breads. There are biscuits and uh uh, what they call biscuits over there are more like cookies or crackers to us, depending on the type of biscuit made. There are buns and, of course, homemade breads, lots of puddings, which is really a starchy pudding, uh, a, a batter put in a cloth and then boiled, like an English plum pudding, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there are lots of sauces, like a fish sauce, white sauce for fish, a lot of condiments, like a walnut ketchup that could be used to flavor dishes. So in what? Respects, what kind of ketchup? Walnut ketchup. So a lot of walnuts that are ground down and walnuts. then um, hmm. preserved. Mm-hmm. Right. Huh. Okay. And fish sauce uh, is very much like a Worcestershire sauce. Very similar mm. ingredients. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a and universal it was tasty sauce. Right. Mm-hmm. Did you say cayenne? You said cayenne in it? Uh, no, I is said anchovies. Said? Oh, anchovies. Okay. Yeah, well, that's definitely a strong assertive flavor, too. When I hear you talk about the hearth, that's something that strikes me all the time. Like, I can't imagine when you talked about how you have to grind things with a mortar and and pestle. You have to uh, dry the flour. I mean, these are steps that people back then had to take before they could even begin the process of cooking. And when I think of the word hearth, I, I just picture what it was like to cook on a hearth. I mean, it's it's something it's hard to even conceive here because all we have to do is turn the oven on. But it must have been, I guess, an all-day affair to cook. Well, um, first of all, in Jane Austen's house, house um, there was an, uh, an iron range. So we're not talking hearth cooking like you might see at Plymouth Plantation. We are talking by this date, uh, there, is, there are iron ranges, and there certainly is a live fire in them, so you do have to put in wood for the fire and start with, with kindling, of course. And then usually on one side of the stove, there is a compartment for hot water. So as the fire heats up, it heats the water, so you have hot water um, ready. And then you usually have a grate in front of the fire where you have meat on a spit turning, and then you usually have a pot below it to grab the drippings. So um, it is a very different method of cooking. And yes, once you light the fire, you're going to find out how to use that stove while it is hot and even as it cools down. Now, at Jane Austen's house, there was a separate um, building that's a bakehouse. 
and that has a beehive oven. So the shape of a beehive, but it's lined with bricks. And there's a sequence to baking. So the bread goes in first when the iron is at its hottest, and then rolls and pies and simple things like biscuits and crackers at the end. And you might even use the residual heat to um, to dry some herbs or to put some candied herbs in that you're going to use to decorate a cake. So there's a sequence. So you make the best use of that heat for as long as you have it. I would imagine for sure. You you have to leave in two minutes, right? You're we Correct. have to wind this. Okay. So uh, very quickly, were there any recipes in there where you said, you know, I got to try this myself? Oh, well, I've modernized uh, 75 of the recipes and I've tried all of them to test oh, them in the kitchen and test the flavoring. And uh, yeah, so I'd say at least 75 times. Oh, wow. Okay. Book. <laughs> okay uh, well, what, let's just wind it up now and let me uh, ask you to please uh, say what the name of the book is and where they can get the book. Because if, sure. um, you know, if it's, if, if you've modernized them, so it sounds like you've taken the recipes and modernized them and, uh, and people may indeed want to do that. Yes. It's Dining with Jane Austen. It is available at my website, which is diningwithjaneaustin.org. It's also on Amazon and eBay. Dining with Jane Austin. And Martha, do you, do you want to also promote Martha Lloyd's? Sure. Martha Lloyd's household book. And there's a subtitle, which is long, the original manuscript from Jane Austen's kitchen. That one is available through, um, it's, uh, Amazon. it's on Amazon, it's University of Chicago Press, and the, the publisher of the book is the Bodleian Library, B-O-D-L-E-I-N, that's University of Oxford. If you, and I think also uh, B. Dalton has it on their website. So if you put in Martha Lloyd's household book, you will probably get a number of sites where you can buy the book, and some with free shipping. Also your name, I'm sure you could... Look it up that way. Julianne Gerrard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. Julianne Gerrard, who thank has followed so Jane Austen. Bye bye. All right. Time for the news. Louisiana Radio Network, 2 30. Louisiana Radio Network, I'm Brooke Thorrington. Attorney General Jeff Landry is partnering with Alabama's AG to catalog alleged incidents of censorship by social media companies. Matt Doyle has the story. Landry says he's received numerous complaints from Louisianans alleging their posts have been hidden or removed and their social media accounts banned or obscured for political content. Landry believes tech companies shouldn't have that kind of power. We know that big tech is controlling more and more of our particular lives. They're intruding into that. And they have actually created a virtual public square that we believe the First Amendment applies to. He asked residents who've had those experiences to leave a detailed response at the AG's website. I'm Matt Doyle. The state reports 93 COVID fatalities today and more than 6,000 new cases. 2,859 are in Louisiana hospitals with COVID, an increase of 139 from Monday. 91% of those in the hospital are reportedly unvaccinated. LRN. For a little while, things were a bit quiet on the bayou. But now, fans are back in the stands. Armored trucks are backed up to the locker rooms. The name 
image likeness era is here. And LSU sports will never be the same. Football is back. It's a new day in LSU sports. With coleslaw and Cajun seasoning pumping through its veins, Coach O is focused on getting the Tigers back to the top. You gotta want to change the times as a coach. And there's new blood in the LSU athletics department. Baseball coach Jay Johnson and women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey. It's game time! Plus, Coach Will Wade is working with a new but talented basketball team. Follow the journey of LSU sports with the Bible of LSU sports. Tiger Rag Magazine. Tiger Rag Magazine. On newsstands and online at TigerRag.com. Keeping you connected to all things LSU sports. Tiger Rag Magazine. The Edwards Mortgage Group, the Mason Collective, NOLA Title Group, and ARC Insurance Consultants are the ones to call on for all of your home needs. Whether it's mortgages, closing, sales, or insurance, they take care of your home needs, and now they have come together to help take care of the needs of our beloved New Orleans music community by partnering with Bougainvillea Productions and Soul Project NOLA for FunkyUncle.Live. FunkyUncle.Live is a free webcast live from the one-of-a-kind Mardi Gras float, the Funky Uncle Lounge, that features New Orleans musicians playing live music combined with interviews and outreach news to raise money for the entertainment community of New Orleans that have been impacted by COVID-19. You can join in the funky fun time by simply going to www.FunkyUncle.Live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Coming to the Funky Uncle Lounge on August 4th, it's Eric Struthers and Friends, and on August 11th, Jamal Batiste Band. For more information on how you can support live from the Funky Uncle, go to funkyuncle.live and follow us on social media. I like a Gershwin tune. How about you? Yes, yes, yes. Everyone loves the Gershwin tune, Tom. I'm Marianne Fitzmorris. We're talking food. I wish she had had more time to uh, to visit. She had to go pick up her daughter at school. But um, as a committed Austinite, I am fascinated by that period and that whole way of life, which is so very different from what we have here. Are you a Jane Austen fan, Patty? Not really, but I think I might have to become one because she sounded really interesting. Yeah. Did so. I mean, you've you've read. Jane yeah, Austen, I, I read you? it in college. Yeah, yeah. I was very surprised to hear her say that she was not familiar with Jane Austen until college because back in the day, you know, literature was more literature. And so uh, that was kind of required reading. I mean, she's but you know, incredibly when you famous. To, when you have to read something, you don't enjoy it as much as when you want to read it. <laughs> yeah. True, true. Well, I have a. I, I became familiar with Jane Austen in high school when it, Pride and Prejudice was required reading, and I will um, not do a spoiler alert because I won't be a spoiler here in case you have not read the book. And I can't imagine that anyone doesn't know the story by now, and since there have been several movies. But um, I only read it halfway, <laughs> and so so when I wrote the book report, it was a little incorrect, and so the teacher was uh, kind enough not to give me an F. What she did was say, "I think you need to go finish the book," and I I did, and then I was a I was completely smitten with Jane Austen after that, and have read absolutely everything that she's ever done, and I am. Com- I just really fascinated with that whole lifestyle, and uh, it, it's 
Mary Lee and I actually took a trip, um, not specifically to do that. We were, we did a chick trip, I call it, where we went to the UK and, um, and followed, uh, this, this, is almost, this is almost embarrassing to say, <laughs> we followed uh, the Jane Austen trail, I call it, which is stopping in at the houses that were um, in the locations of her uh, books or mainly Pride and Prejudice, the two versions of it. And then also the movie Leap Year in Ireland. And we went to some of those locations too. So it was definitely a romantic chick flick trip. And, uh, and I loved every minute of it, I have to say. Five five six nine six nine six is the number if you want to talk to me. I'm Marianne Fitzmaurice. So would love to talk to you. Uh, today is Banana Split S'mores, whatever that is, National Banana Split Day. Banana Split is delicious because of the underrated affinity bananas and ice cream have for one another. Like bananas foster, but how can anyone eat an un entire banana split? Tom gets a full and queasy feeling just thinking about it, but uh, he's not 16 anymore when he wrote this. Uh, I um, I don't know that I've ever had a banana split because I'm not a banana fan. And the only time I've ever eaten banana, I did have bananas foster, but only recently for the very first time, if you can believe that. Again, just not a bananas fan, but we did go to Brennan's not long ago, and I finally did, they had bananas foster for two, and I finally did eat some. And I have to say, I do see it, but it's not something, it's not It's not a go-to for me. But a banana split, um, don't, don't remember ever really having one. Patty, have you had a lot of banana splits in your life? Not a lot, and I've never eaten a whole one. Usually we split it. We split the uh -huh. split. <laughs> who who has them? I guess I guess you could get them at any ice oh, cream Oh yeah, Baskin counter. Robbins has them. You know, th uh -huh. there's a place in Metairie called Todd's Yogurt. Have you ever had that? Uh uh. It, it's a yogurt that's made with stevia, frozen yogurt. Uh huh. And yeah. it's like, like if you're on Weight Watchers, it's uh -huh. you can eat that on Weight Watchers, and it's no points because uh -huh. of the ingredients. But they do it. Yeah awesome banana split mm. you know i just can't bring myself to eat artificial sweeteners because i'm much more afraid of the chemicals than i am sugar you know mm -hmm. um so i never you know we were talking about um uh, peanut butter cups and you asked me about molly kimball and i would say that my um my primary thought about Molly Kimball, this is the Eat Fit NOLA originator. My primary thought about Molly Kimball is that I'm very grateful to her because, not because of Eat Fit NOLA, <laughs> not because of that at all, because I, I think Eat Fit NOLA is an oxymoron myself. But anyway, um, I went, we went to, uh, when her book came out, it's a very good book. When, a, when the book came out, I guess about two and a half years ago, there was a uh, book party um, for her at um, 
James Carville's house. And it it they had various rooms spread with things from the book. And they had this massive dining room table in the dining room. And it was just all of the dessert arranged very beautifully on the dining room table. Now I hear thunder. Now that I've said that about beautiful days, I'm hearing <laughs> thunder. And one of the things in the book was homemade peanut butter cups, but they were made with no sugar and I guess one of those sweeteners. Uh, it was, I think there's a particular sweetener that she's affiliated with and I can't remember the name of it because I don't pay attention to stuff like that. I can look it up at the next break, but um, that's where I got the idea to make the peanut butter cups, only to make them with the real ingredients. And that's when I started my peanut butter cup kick and I've never stopped it. So uh, I'm grateful to Molly Kimball for turning me on to the idea that peanut butter cups can be made all by yourself so easily and so much better than the ones that all, uh, you know, admittedly are really good. The Reese's peanut butter cups are really good, but, um, but this one uh, is better. It's the dark chocolate with the peanut butter right out of the crusher and no added sweetener at all, chemical or otherwise. 556-9696 five, five, six, nine, six, nine, six is the number. Back, we got off of that uh, with the banana splits, which is what Tom was talking about as today is National Banana Split Day. It is also National S'mores Day. Now, I do like s'mores, kind of, because they've got marshmallows, and I don't get marshmallows either, really. S'mores are created by the Girl Scouts, consisting of graham crackers, Hershey bars, and marshmallows made into a sandwich and heated to near melting over a campfire. They are as irresistible as their name implies. I'm trying to think of the last time I actually had s'mores, and I only do s'mores as kind of a a thing that you have to do at a camp a camp out or cookout cookout at your camp out uh, campfire cookout that's what I'm trying to say um, when the kids grew up and left the scouts that was the last time we had s'mores so that's been a very long time ago Actually, that's not true. We did have, uh, we, I mentioned the homestead the other day. They do have um, s'mores at the homestead at night, and that's the last time we had them. But before that, not a lot of s'mores in my life. Are you a s'mores person, Patty? Uh, you know, when I was a scout, we had them all the time, and yeah. I can't remember the last time I had them. But, you know, um, there's, a, there's a place in New Orleans on the, on the Lafitte Greenway called Wrong Iron, and it's a... It's a bar. They've got food trucks and bar food, but they have fire pits, and uh -huh. they actually sell the fixins for s'mores for four people. You can sit around the fire pit and do cool. s'mores. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Where, saw, where is that? It's on the Lafitte Greenway on, um, used to be Jefferson Davis Parkway, and now it's something else, Norman Francis Parkway, right by the old Mercy Hospital. The Lafitte Greenway. I've never even heard of that. Oh, yeah. It's See, a, Patty, Patty's the urban contribution yes. <laughs> of the show, and I am the suburban 
contribution of the show. Um, it, is it is it by Mercy Hospital? Yeah, behind it, it? it's right uh, between Mercy Hospital. It's kind of behind Mercy Hospital because Mercy's mm. on mm. Bienville, so it's behind it. The Greenway is a bike path that goes from the French oh, okay. Quarter all the way okay. to City Park. I see. And, okay. Um, uh-huh. This is it's right. Pa- it's almost across the street from Parkway, from Parkway Bakery. Okay. Okay. See, I've never, I, I've never even heard of that. I, I just, and it's, it's so it's like, it's like the urban version of our Tammany Trace. Yes. Okay. And how long has that been around? Oh gosh, it's been, uh, geez, it's probably been three or four years. Oh, you scared me. I thought you were going to say 10 years. Oh no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It just recently got finished, I'd say, in the last two years it's finished. They've been working on it. It begins, okay. you know, by the um, the tourist station on Basin Street? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's where it starts. Okay. And, it goes and so now I can, I, can offer as, I can offer as an excuse for my ignorance that all anyone's been talking about for the last two years is COVID. So, right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's why I don't know about it. Because mm-hmm. I actually do think I would have known about that. I think um, you would have too. And I, I've just simply never heard of it. And so they have these fire pits along the in, trail? No, or like no, a this trailhead? Is, this is in the bar, in, in this bar called oh, Long Iron. It's okay. mostly outdoors. Okay. And so they have like, five or six of these big fire pits with chairs uh, around it okay they're pretty cool gosh patty place. you sure do get around that's all i can say <laughs> well, as opposed more. to me who does not what <laughs> well we have to change that we have to get you over there. Uh, no i think i i think i'm 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 a homebody for the foreseeable <laughs> future five five six nine six nine six is the number we'll take a break we'll be right back Right down the highway from the excellent Keith Young Steakhouse is Five Girls. And the food is very good casual fare. Here is a fantastic club sandwich with homemade potato chips, a great Cuban, good salads, and the best red beans and rice we have ever had. Poor boys, hamburgers, and terrific fried seafood. Five Girls, 305 Highway 21 in Madisonville, 985-845-2348. The Crescent City Steakhouse has been a favorite since the first time I discovered it on Mardi Gras Day. This old-fashioned steakhouse hasn't changed much since it opened in 1934. I love the steaks. Here is prime beef, dry-aged in-house, a great T-bone or porterhouse steak. The Vojkovich family has welcomed generations of locals to this special place, and they'd love to welcome you. Crescent City Steakhouse, 1001 North Broad, 821-3271. I'll take Manhattan, the Bronx, and Staten Island, too. Thank you, Tom. Patty, are the heavens about to break open over there? Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. It's about to come down over here, too. All right, today is the birthday in 1814 of Henri Nestle, 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 the founder of the chocolate company that bears his name. A great deal of his success came from his breakthrough in making milk chocolate, which is credited with making chocolate candy possible. His business began with nut oils, bottled water, and lemonade. He invented infant formulas, which until that time were unleaded, unheard of. He saw it as a way for 
undernourished children with distressed or absent mothers to stay healthy. Nestle is now one of the biggest producers in the world of all kinds of food. All I can think of is Nestle's chocolate chips, which is how everyone cuts their teeth on chocolate chips, wouldn't you say? Yes, Don't I you would. Think, Patty? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I haven't had them in a very... Well, that's not true. I did have them um, on Father's Day because we went to Chifuncta's and Michael Gottlieb had this gigantic donut, glazed donut that he brought to the table instead of the bull, the sesame seed bull that I like. And um, the donut was large enough to keep Tom busy the entire time, but neither one of us, neither Mary Lee nor I had more than a bite of it because it was super sweet, but it also was studded with chocolate chips that I think were the Nestle chocolate chips and they had some on top. And that was like the last time and the first time in a very long time that I have had Nestle chocolate chips. Now I want to go get some just to remind myself of what they taste like because it's been, like I said, I'm not, I'm now into the 88% chocolate for my chocolate, 88% 80, uh, cocoa. So we're moving on, we're moving on up. It's also the birthday of Jimmy Dean. 1928. The sausage line he started spun him off but kept his name a few years ago saying that they wanted a different spokesman. Huh? He should have started Seth Ward Sausages then. That's his real name. My still mother using him really... in commercials. It's kind of creepy. Wait, they still are? They're still using his voice. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, my mom was a big... Yeah, I think Jimmy Dean sausage is good. Do you like it? I think I it's do. really good, actually. Yeah, I think it's a good product. Um, we have. I haven't had it in a long time, but I would really, you know, to use the an expression uh, my nephew likes to use, go ham on it if it was sitting <laughs> in front of me for breakfast because it's really good, I think. And my mom, there was this time, see, I grew up, as I've said this many times before, Patty, these sad stories predate you, but I grew up with Vienna sausages. But my mother's coup de gras was a Christmas Eve party that she had every year. And uh, on the menu at the Christmas Eve party, she's going to haunt me, I think, um, we had Gino's pizza rolls. We had mock oyster patties. Do you know what those are, Patty? Yes, I do. I really like those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, somebody just turned off the radio saying, oh, I can't listen to these two <laughs> chicks anymore. I just, I just can't. So uh, it, it's... For those people who are not familiar, it is an actual patty shell. That's where the goodness ends if we're talking gourmet stuff. And it's mushrooms from a can chopped with broccoli. And this is all, I guess there's cream in there somewhere. And then uh, there's that garlic cheese in a tube that was one of the central ingredients in spinach madeleine locally. Hmm. This was like one of the biggest markets in the country for that garlic cheese tube. Did you know that, Patty? No, I didn't. 
Yeah. And we it's have- like this this local area, this kept those people around <laughs> far longer than anybody else in the United States would have. Because spinach madeleine is kind of like a signature dish here for some inexplicable reason. Mm. And uh, my, my niece is really into spinach madeleine. And for every Thanksgiving, every single one, she would bring spinach madeleine along with some story about how something went wrong in the preparation of spinach madeleine. It was like <laughs> you could count on the dish and you could count on the story. <laughs> and, then, and then the fateful day happened when the spinach madeleine garlic cheese tube was no longer available, and that was pretty traumatic. Anyway, so my mom had these, uh, these uh, mock oyster patties. She had the Gino's pizza rolls. But the big thing on the menu was that recipe that's on the side, I think, of the Jimmy Dean roll, which is like a, like a biscuit dough and cheese and the spicy Jimmy Dean sausage. And you rolled all that up into a ball and you baked it. And I got to say, it was really good. <laughs> well, so, Speaking of old things- time cooking, we have Dan on the phone who wants to tell you about old time cooking. Okay. All right. So anyway, um, that's my that's my Jimmy Dean. Uh, oh, oh, no, there was another thing my mom did with Jimmy Dean sausage, which was kind of her signature dish. She actually won a prize for this once. Really? Yeah, uh huh. It was her. She called it cabbage delight, and what it was was cabbage. It was diced potatoes, diced very small, onion, and Jimmy Dean sausage. And so she would saute all the previous ingredients, and then the Jimmy Dean sausage would go on top of it all. And then she would bake that, and it was actually incredibly delicious tasting okay except the sausage did kick off a bit of grease and tom arrived at my house in my world (laughs) for his first dinner and it was my mom's prized cabbage delight and when we left the house that night tom leaned over to me and he said that was the worst (laughs) What did he say? That was the worst casserole I've ever had. And because it was a little bit on the greasy side, but I, I like animal fat grease. So anyway, I told my parents that and my dad laughed. And if Tom was able to do the impression of my dad, he loves to do impressions of my dad. It would be it would be something like this. Tom? We can do way worse than that. (laughs) And that was sort of the joke that they had for years and years. Let's go to Dan. Dan. Mary Ann, you talk too long and your listeners aren't going to call you. (laughs) What you got? You know, I always tell you, you bring back memories. They were Mm -hmm. talking about people raising animals in Mm -hmm. town. I live... Mm -hmm just off Canal and Broad. I had chickens when I was a kid, and we used to eat the eggs and the chickens, and we had some of them what were called banties. You know what a banty or bantam chicken is? It's, I've it's heard of it, but mid- I don't know what it is. It's a little midget chicken, a little bit bigger than a pigeon, hmm. and they make little tiny eggs. Hmm. And we would take the little mother hens and when she laid her eggs 
and she would hatch her chicks in like a little side room we had to the bathroom and eat her eggs and sometimes eat the mamas. My uncle, oh, by the way, the guy right in back of me, he raised turkeys. My backyard met his backyard. He raised Where turkeys. was this? My neighbor, my next-door neighbor. No, where, where, where in the area was it? Canal and Broad. Canal and Broad. Okay. You know where Broad Street and, is? And, and, yeah, I do, but that seems like it, it's a little too urban for you to, I mean, this wasn't that long ago, was it? Well, I'm almost 88, so it was a long time ago. Well, 70 years. <laughs> yeah. 75 but years. Let me finish my story. He had turkeys, ducks, and pigeons. And he ate pigeons a lot. Mm-hmm. And the pigeon eggs, of course. My uncle, mm-hmm. who worked for the city in the streets, lived a half a block away. He raised ducks. And the big joke was when he, he he didn't have a wife at the time, but I'd go over there to eat with my cousins because they were about my same age. And the daddy cooked, and he would cook ducks. And I'd always say how big the breast on those chickens were, never knowing he was cooking ducks. I thought he was cooking chickens. And then we go to my aunt my, and uncle, my uh, mother's brother, he lived in the last house in Metairie. You want to guess? Metairie guess Road. What he, uh-huh. Right off of Bonneville. Mm. That was the last house in Metairie. Uh-huh. He had cows, pigs, chickens, ducks, and God knows what else. And he <laughs> killed his animals and ate them right there on Bonneville and Veterans. I'm so glad I'm too young for this. A few blocks away from him, if you cross uh, Veterans Highway, which was, wasn't a highway, it was a canal back then. They had a little foot pa- uh, footbridge that you could cross and walked about two blocks. I forgot the name of the street now. But they had an Indian mound there, and you could dig for uh, broken in the Indian uh, arrowheads and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You didn't let me finish my story yesterday when I was talking about water. Oh, my goodness, Dan. I'm sorry. You're racking up all these half-finished stories. Okay. Unfortunately, you got about a minute and a half to finish See, them all, okay? Finish. Okay, I'm going to do this in a hurry. My mother was a twin, and they were born in Abita Springs. Mm-hmm. My mother is named <clears throat> Nita, Anita, and, and that was supposed to be the Indian lady that discovered the springs, and her name was Abita. So the twins were Abita and Anita. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Okay. Abita and Anita. Uh, Is Steve still there? Let me just ask him if he wants to hold on. He's going to call back after the news. Oh, okay. All right. Wow, that's like a a punchline. He was probably itching to tell the rest of that story. All right. That's... That's it for this hour. We will come back with Steve after the top of the hour. And whatever else we want to talk about, if you would like to call, 556-9696 is the number.
Jimmy Dean sausage now, and I may have to wind up going to get some of that. I think about it often when I'm at the store and I see it, that it, it immediately sparks those memories, but I never ever get it. And uh, maybe I will have to break down and get it since I've been talking about it. Quickly, Dan, uh, Tom's deaf dining rule number 511 is about all we have time for. Tarte tatin, regardless of which master French baker makes it, is not as good as a well-made American apple pie. I don't know. I don't know, Tom. I'm not a big apple pie fan, but I do. Uh, I like any French tart with any ingredients, so it would be kind of tough to, to beat that in my book. All right, we do not have a guest at 3 o'clock, as we often do. It's just going to be us coming back after the news, so stick with us, and we can talk about s'mores and all kinds of things. It is four, uh, 3 o'clock, WGSO New Orleans News Time, Louisiana Radio Network. USA Radio News with Tim Berg. I realized pretty quickly that... Uh, if you look up stupid stuff in the dictionary, there's a there's a picture of this bill. Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy never won to mince words speaking there on Fox News. That as the Senate by a 69 to 30 margin passes a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, a bill that includes money set aside for roads, bridges, and transit. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is resigning following a bombshell sexual harassment report. The state attorneys general announcing the findings of her five-month investigation into allegations from multiple women that Cuomo created a sexually hostile work environment. The report concludes the Democrat touched their intimate body parts and made unwanted advances. You're listening to USA Radio News. The reviews for Extendivite are amazing. Amazon customer, it's amazing. I just ordered my second bottle. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after I exercise. The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off of BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Amazon customer, Extendivite works great. This product has made my blood pressure and cholesterol stable. I highly recommend it. Amazon customer, excellent herbal formula. I've been using it to keep my cardiovascular system fine-tuned. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. A Texas judge is making a ruling regarding Democrats from Texas who left the state. State District Judge Brad Arutia ruled in favor of Texas Democrats who fled the state last month to block Republican-backed voting integrity legislation. Texas House Speaker Dade Phelan and other officials are now barred from arresting the lawmakers. The judge, a Democrat, signed the order on August 8th, issuing the injunction. From the West Coast USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry. Amazon is now paying customers up to $1,000 in damages for products sold by third-party sellers that cause personal injury or harm. The company is saying buyers can contact Amazon's customer service, which will notify the third party of the issue. If the seller rejects a claim, Amazon will step up and address the problem themselves. The Dixie Fire in California continuing to burn. It's also now the single biggest fire in California history, covering more than 750 square miles. This is USA Radio News.
Now you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 800-215-5141. 800-215-5141. That's 800-215-5141. Going a little bit more in depth on one of our top stories, reaction coming into New York Democrat Governor Andrew Cuomo resigning following a bombshell sexual harassment report. Former New York Governor George Pataki telling Fox Business. You know, Neil, it's a a sad day for New York. It had to happen. The handwriting was on the wall. If the investigations had been allowed to be uh, completed by the legislature, he would have been impeached. So this wasn't an act of courage. It was just a sad day. Throughout the rest of the day, we have a pop-up storm here or there, possibly. Otherwise, heat is on, and it continues. Most areas unabated. Feel like temperatures are well into the 100s. Now, the rain chance is coming in tonight early. Come back a little bit for the morning, but a stronger chance of afternoon storms returning Wednesday and likely thunderstorms for the afternoons Thursday and Friday. Low to mid-90s, overnight lows of muggy 80 or upper 70s. Tomorrow afternoon, low 90s with a good chance of rain all about the area. Ralph Sanji, WGSO. Rico's Tires and Wheels offers quality used tires. They fix flat tires too, and they do wheel repair. Rico's Tires and Wheels, just a few blocks south of Veterans, 2609 David Drive, Metairie, 504-455-5199. Rico's Tires and Wheels, quality used tires. They fix flat tires too, and they do wheel repair. Just a few blocks south of Veterans, 2609 David Drive, Metairie, 504-455-5199. to expect when you're expecting a teenager learning the lingo today i'm going to help parents translate teen slang now when a teen says something is on fleek it's exactly like saying that's rad it simply means that something is awesome or cool another one is totes it's exactly like saying totally just shorter as in i totes love going to the mall with becca another word you might hear is jelly Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.
All right, we are back. I uh, thought we were still on, but we but we weren't clearly. All right. I, what I said was, it's time for the second course of the food show, second hour on this now rainy day outside. I should have kept my mouth shut and not talked about how beautiful it was. And then I asked Patty if it was raining over there and then realized that we were off the air. So let's go to Steve now. Hi. You just never know, Steve. You just never know. You're absolutely right. Uh, mm -hmm. And it always wakes, you know, sneaks up and grabs you from behind. <laughs> it keeps what? you guessing, you know? That's it. We, our, our goal is to keep you guessing. All right. Uh, I love your chocolate snobbery uh, <laughs> with your 88% now. Uh, oh, yes. I, yes. I used to love when... And, and I don't bother anymore, but when people were wine snobs, and I knew it, mm -hmm. I was going over to their house, and they were going to have this, you know, fantastic red wine, and I don't like red wine. So mm -hmm. I would tell my wife, we'd stop off and grab a bottle of Arbor Mist or something like that, and I'd bring that in, and they just like, it was like offending them, and I'm like, Seriously? I don't like what you're serving. I have no problem with you serving it. And this was friends, you know. But mm -hmm, then yeah. the, the best story, I have a friend, and I won't mention his name, but uh, he went to a party, a dinner party, that there were like three couples, and he brought a bottle of wine, probably a 15 to $25 bottle of wine, and the the host of the party took it, and they you know went through the entire dinner party, and they didn't open that bottle of wine. And when he was leaving, the host gave it back to him and says, "You might as well take this home. I'll, the only thing I'll do is pour it down the drain." And oh I was gosh! Like, you are kidding me! <laughs> now that is snobbery that ought to be punched oh, in the nose. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been better for him to pour it down the drain. Or maybe he's like me and he can't bear the idea that something is going to waste. So in in the spirit of, you know, conservation. No, nah, that's honest. not what it was. It was no? in the spirit of I am too cool to drink. Oh, was it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But because uh, okay. he would always tell you how much this bottle of wine that he was opening now cost. Uh, you know? Let's see. Okay. So, well, in the but, case uh, of me, in the case of me, I I try to kick chocolate. It's a lifelong habit. But you know, I'm I'm doing yeoman's work here that you all can't see, and so I need my chocolate as a mood booster. Oh, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> I I accept that. And after Greg went into all the flavonoids that I was missing by kicking chocolate, I said, "Screw it! I'm going back to get some." So that I yeah, did. There's and nothing my, wrong. There's nothing wrong with if you got something you like and you want to do the best of it in your opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like your husband said, if you if it if you think it's good, it is good. Well, you know what? It's actually not. It's not that. Here's how I got to 88% chocolate. I was going to the Rouse's near my house, and they have an 84 five percent bar or is it a 77 percent i think it was 77 
And I would go in there if there was a chocolate emergency. And the whole reason I started on this particular brand of chocolate was that I couldn't admit to my daughter because I told her to take all the 72% Trader Joe's out of the house when she moved uh, and not to let me have any. Uh, and so I was trying to make it look like I was really being good and not eating any chocolate. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't ask her for any of it. And Trader Joe's on the other side of the lake. And like right. I said, I don't get out much. So I had to find an alternate source of chocolate. So I went to the Rouse's and I picked up this 85% bar, uh, not 80, yeah, I think it was 85% or 77. And then I would go in there and like, I, I think I told a story about this one checker that always gets me when I'm doing the chocolate and I, and she's got this jaundiced eye and she laughs and I said, I know it's a chocolate emergency. So um, they were out of it one day. And instead of me taking it as a sign from God that I really need to quit, I went to a Quista Paces and all they had was the 88%. And now that's what I'm getting. God wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> so anyway, it's an innocent way that I've gone up the chain. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's, okay. it's only, the you know, banana necessity. I love them. Uh, I don't eat them anywhere as much as I should or shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Uh and, you know, you started talking about that Christmas Eve party. Oh, my God, my parents were famous for it. And it was such a heartbreak when I guess about 95, 96, when Susan and I moved over here to the North Shore, we were living in Shreveport for a few years helping her mom before her mom passed. And we went, we came back and we were at that party in 96. And so many of their friends were gone, mm, you know, mm -hmm. that it just, mm -hmm. and we told them next year, we're going to the, the bonfires for Christmas Eve. And oh, we have you done them. that? Yes. I've never done it. I want do to it. do it. Do it. Do it. It's worth it. But it was a good way to stop the, you know, to just, I told, we told my parents, we said, you know, you know that, I mean, that house was, we probably had a hundred people in a three bedroom 1958 house mm -hmm. every Christmas Eve, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, and there were probably Good times. Yeah. There were probably 10 this mm -hmm. Christmas Eve and it was mostly mm -hmm. family, you know, yeah. my brothers mm -hmm. and and me and my wife and their it's wife. It's sad and, when know. that happens. Yeah. It is. And we it's just kind of told my parents, you know, next year we're going to stop this and we're going to the to the bonfires. And we yeah. took them to the bonfires. And the next year we had the party over here mm -hmm. and, you know, stop that after that year. But, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, it was, it was what a joyous memory. It's probably my favorite yeah. memories of Christmas Eve, of Christmas. Yeah was the Christmas Eve party and Jimmy Dean sausage. I still <laughs> love those little biscuits that you could get. Uh huh. I think you it's know, a good the, sausage. I do. I think it's a yes, really tasty sausage. You know, Mary Lee, uh, Mary Lee described Mary Lee. We used to love Thanksgiving here. It was just like a favorite holiday. It was always her favorite holiday. And I right. guess about, 
I don't know, I guess about 10 years ago, it started to fall apart when her cousin and her and her parents didn't come and they switched holidays and they came to Christmas instead of that. And then year after year, it just got more and more depressing. And now about four or five years ago, Mary Lee goes, Thanksgiving's the most depressing holiday. Uh, yeah, after, <laughs> yeah, after being the big deal that it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell her to yes. have a bunch of kids and start her own. Yeah. Well, you know, what happened with Thanksgiving was Jackson, our first grandson, is born two days before that. So yeah, we were going laugh. out to California. So then, you know, when you get into a habit and the people who do it are never, you know, you can't tell if they're there or not, then it just sort of, it just fell apart and it's sad. Yeah. But anyway, well, that's, so many other things did too. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All okay. right. Well, Take it's care. been wonderful. <laughs> Well, thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. If Michael75 would like to hold on, we will come to him right after the break. 556-9696. One of my all-time favorite restaurants is the legendary Pascal's Manali. It's now open for lunch Wednesday through Friday with happy hour specials in the dining room every day. Tuesdays, enjoy two-for-one appetizers and Hans's vodka martinis. Wednesday and Thursday's wine and beer specials. Friday's lunch martinis are $5. Say hello to my friend Thomas at that great oyster bar when you go to Pascal's Manali, 1838 Napoleon Avenue. Reservations are recommended. Call 895-4877. Mandeville Seafood has been a local favorite, serving their house-made roast beef poor boys, seafood poor boys, and even a French fry poor boy in a fast, casual environment. Here is an extensive menu of salads and sandwiches and fried seafood, baskets and platters, as well as sides like stuffed artichokes, meat pies, and jalapeno cheese bites. And we love the very attentive service here at Mandeville Seafood Restaurant and Market, celebrating 25 years. Night and day, you are the one. Yes, indeed. Let's go to Michael75. Hey, Marianne, you are a victim of the early chirp syndrome. Uh-oh, what is that? That's if you're at the racetrack and your horse is leading by five lengths in the stretch and you say, we've won it, we've won it. Something inevitably happens and he breaks his leg or something. That's when you said the, uh, uh, oh, it's beautiful outside. As soon as you yeah. said that, that's yeah. called an early chirp. You don't say it till the deal ends through, like um, uh. somebody said. Anyway, uh, when you were talking about Mary Lee uh, prohibiting you from uh, – uh, any of the uh, Trader Joe's chocolate. Uh, I was thinking of a guy named Jim who would come to the casino almost every day. And for a few months, I didn't see him. Then I, I see him uh, about five or six months later. Jim, how you been? Where, where you been? He says, I, I, I can't go into the casino. I said, why? He said, I sent them a letter saying not to let me in. <laughs> And I said, "Well, how did you? How did you? How did? Uh, why are you in now?" He said, "I used uh -huh. a different name." So that was you with the uh -huh. with the chocolate. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Well, you know what can you say if you're if you don't have the discipline to really do it, you're not going to do it. That's it. That's what it all comes right. down to. So anyway, anyway. We, we were driving in the county of Somerset. And we went to a little city called Bath, 
and uh, we went to a restaurant there and had some delicious lamb. But but bath, <laughs> as we dumb Americans say, the, the Roman baths there are fabulous. They're two thousand years old. I could just imagine yes. all the Roman, Roman um, aristocracy bathing together in these baths two thousand years. Did ago. you go to those when you were there? Did you go there? Oh yes, definitely. You can't miss the baths. In did, baths. I mean, did you they swim? Also, did you swim in there? No, I, no, I didn't swim. Uh, I don't even know. I guess you can. I don't. I, I, I never inquired. Yeah, they're all still working. All those baths over there are still working. I know the ones they're working. In Budapest in and all of them. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. And um, believe uh, I'm not great on the Jane Austen. I like the male English author named Charles Dickens, and I have a collection of his uh, his first editions. I love it. Uh, a Tale of Two Cities. You have a collection uh, of his first editions, do you? Right. We, every yeah, we every year we go to. Um, um, Little London, Parisian bookstores, maybe, yeah. Maybe twenty years, and we'd go to a place called Portobello Road. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, but I don't get Portobello Road. I don't get it. I'm sorry, but I'm not into. I'm not into junk shops. You know what I mean? Well, they have some. You you can find uh, diamonds in the rough there. That's the deal. You got to find the diamonds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, but you can have my share of that. I, okay. I've been to Portobello Road once for the the whole festivities, and never again. <laughs> well, well, that's where I got all the Dickens. Mm -hmm. there's, okay. there's a great, a great shop there. Um, yeah. But my favorite author of all is Victor Hugo, who wrote, of course, the greatest novel mm -hmm. ever written, Les Misérables, mm -hmm. the greatest play mm -hmm. ever written, Les Misérables. And, uh, Didn't he also write it, The Hunchback of Notre Dame? That is correct. Was that, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. I, I, what, did I impress anyway, you? Uh, I dazzled you? Is that it? <laughs> Continue, please. Go ahead. For, for a chocoholic like you, you should say a prayer every day to Maria Teresa, the Infanta of Spain. She Why? is the one who... She's the one who brought chocolate, chocolates to France and made it popular throughout uh, Europe. When uh, she was, she married her first cousin Louis the Fourteenth, for whom Louisiana is named, the, uh, the Sun mm -hmm. King. And she brought the chocolates to France, and it became a big, big hit all over. Uh, so you should, you should, uh, you should say a prayer to her every day. She also brought. Uh, the the uh, one of the mother sauces there it's called the espanol sauce a brown mm -hmm. sauce mm -hmm. and yes. uh, so she is fabulous uh, by the way I have a uh, a life science painting of her in her royal robes from the uh, an oil painting from a guy named uh, Italian guy named Carlo Francesco Nuvoloni from 1661 and my wife Wait, won't you, let me huh you actually what? own this painting. Yeah, my wife won't let me sell it. I can't believe it. Of course, I bought it for a lark uh, about 35 years ago. I, I knew it was a beautiful painting, but I didn't know anything about it. And mm -hmm. Then 20 or 30 years later, I found out all the history on it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, your wife won't let you sell it? Why do you want to sell no. it? Oh, well, my kids will sell it when we die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the the little artist Toulouse Lautrec has written a recipe book too. Did you know that? 
Toulouse Trek has written a recipe. What is it? A, a recipe. Excuse me. A recipe book. I'm eating. Oh, 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 oh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But anyway. No, I did not know that. Anyway, I'm going to leave you with another warning. I was about Don't to say, ever... Michael, stop eating and talk to me or go away. One or the other. Go ahead. Uh, okay. What? <laughs> okay, no more sticks. Uh, I'm going to leave you with an early warning. No early chirps. Uh, you got to listen to that song. Uh, uh, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. You can't do okay. anything till the dealing's done. Okay. So All right. don't ever, no comments about the weather until, until the show's <laughs> over. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, I, okay, good. No Bye-bye. comments about the weather, period. I don't want to jinx it no matter what time of day it is. All right, take care, right. Michael. Thank you. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. We're all just blathering about food. If you want to do that, join us. We'd love to have you. Today's Edible Dictionary Word is brought to you by Dorignax, one of the top 20 regional supermarkets of all time, and also celebrating 75 years along with WGSO. The Edible Dictionary Word today is rib cap, rib cap. Also known as spinalis or spinalis dorsi, this is a layer of lean meat that covers the side of a rib roast opposite the bones. I love when Tom gets into these really detailed things about butchery. The rib cap is separated from the rib eye by a thick layer of fat. When it's removed, it has a convex shape like a beanie. The rib cap is about three quarters of an inch thick and it is marbled with quite a bit of fat even when the grade of the beef is low. The rib cap is popular among chefs uh, it became popular around chefs in or around 2008 when some meat purveyors began selling it as a separate cut. Fortunately, that practice has not become widespread. It's extraordinarily tender and can be grilled or roasted. I don't know. I don't know why Tom doesn't want that practice because a rib cap is actually really good. When we go to Keith Young's, we sometimes get the rib cap, but um, we like it. We like it quite a lot. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff in Tom's Almanac today, so if you'll permit me to continue, we will do that. Today in 1985, the original formula of Coca-Cola returned to the market when we demanded it. It returned to the market as Coke Classic after being replaced briefly and to much public derision by New Coke. However, New Coke has conquered the rest of the world. It's only in America and Canada that Coke Classic is the standard. I don't know. I've never looked for Coke Classic a lot outside of this country, but I I see it, and whenever I'm looking for a Coke outside this country, I'm avail. It's available, and I I'm able to get it. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. Today's feast day of Saint Lawrence, who is the uh, namesake for my grade school out in Kenner. And I didn't realize what a great education I had until after it was over. St. Lawrence managed the church's meager funds when it was still being 
persecuted by Rome. He is the patron saint of brewers, cooks, confectioners, and restaurateurs. It seems like there's an awful lot of saints who are the patron saint of hospitality workers, which is why Tom, I guess, has something in his almanac called the saints. Because we have a lot of brewers, cooks, bartenders, and restaurateurs in this city. I mean, that's what we do here. Words to drink by today. This is from the Devil's Dictionary, which I'm going to have to go into Tom's office. I say I'm going to do this, but I don't, I don't know that I really am because Tom's office is dense with books, floor to ceiling, wall to wall. And although I've been there and looked for things, I've never specifically looked for a certain book except once or twice. And when I've done that once or twice, I always marvel at how hard it is to find a book in there. So if I was looking for the devil's dictionary, I'm not sure that I would actually be able to find it. But I am most curious about this particular publication that Tom references with some frequency in the almanac. So the words to drink by today are from the devil's dictionary. Ambrose Bierce, and it is potable. It's a definition, potable, suitable for drinking. Water is said to be potable. Indeed, some declare it our natural beverage, although even they find it palatable only when suffering from the recurrent disorder known as thirst, for which it is a medicine. Upon cooking... Upon, upon nothing has so great and diligent ingenuity been brought to bear to all ages and in all countries except the most uncivilized as upon the invention of substitutes for water. To hold that this general aversion to that liquid has no basis in the preservative instinct of the race as to be unscientific and without science, we are as the snakes and toads. Very dense, very, very dense indeed. And this quote was obviously offered before bottled water became a thing. And I'm sure if Ambrose Bierce was alive today, and I'm going to have to look him up to see when he died, he would find the idea that we are paying for bottled water probably quite hilarious, as I do and a lot of other people do. And we talked about yesterday with the water lady. 556-9696 five, five, six, nine, six, nine, six is the number. It is now time for Louisiana Radio Network News. It's 3 o'clock. Louisiana Radio Network, I'm Matt Doyle. Additional restrictions could be coming as the state approaches 3,000 COVID patients in the hospital. While giving a COVID update to the Board of Regents, State Health Officer Dr. Joe Cantor expressed great concern over the rising number of COVID patients in Louisiana hospitals. If we don't peak within 
a week or two, it, it's just simply going to be a catastrophic situation for hospitals. And Cantor says that's why more mitigation measures may be needed. Not only are hospitalizations rising, but so are deaths. The state reported 93 COVID fatalities on Tuesday, the highest single-day increase since January 8th. I'm Jeff Palermo. And a landmark international report on climate change shows that should the world not reach carbon neutrality by 2050, the region that Louisiana is in could see temperature increases of 6 degrees compared to the average temperature between 1995 and 2014. Also on deck would be an extra 15 days a year of temperatures over 104 degrees. LRN. For a little while, things were a bit quiet on the bayou. But now... Fans are back in the stands, and armored trucks are backed up to the locker rooms. The name, image, likeness era is here, and LSU sports will never be the same. Football is back. It's a new day in LSU sports. With coleslaw and Cajun seasoning pumping through its veins, Coach O is focused on getting the Tigers back to the top. You gotta wanna change the times as a coach. And there's new blood in the LSU athletics department. Baseball coach Jay Johnson and women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey. It's game time! Plus, Coach Will Wade is working with a new but talented basketball team. Follow the journey of LSU sports with the Bible of LSU sports. Tiger Rag Magazine. Tiger Rag Magazine. On newsstand and online at TigerRag.com. Keeping you connected to all things LSU sports. Tiger Rag Magazine. Over the last 75 years, New Orleans has gone through many changes, and so has WGSO. From our early beginnings in 1946, broadcasting from the Jung Hotel, being home to Papa Stapa in the 1950s, being a music station, talking biz radio to speak in easy New Orleans style, you, our loyal listeners, have been here every step of the way with WGSO. It's now our 75th anniversary, and we are so proud to have you here with us to celebrate. So we're going to celebrate all year long to show our gratitude to you and make 2021 our most successful year yet. And we will also continue to bring programs that appeal to people of all backgrounds. So from all of us at WGSO, we want to say thank you for making us the community voice of the Crescent City. When you're awake, the things you think come from the dreams you dream. Thought has wings, and lots of things are seldom what they seem. I looked up Ambrose Bierce while we were in the break. Um, it, he is a, uh, an American writer who died in, uh, in 1842. So uh, he wrote The Devil's Dictionary, and his book was considered, at that time, uh, it was one of the hundred greatest masterpieces of American literature by the American Revolution Bicentennial Administration. So now I'm going to have to go find that book. It's like going into the belly of the beast. I'm going to have to go and find the Devil's Dictionary in uh, Tom's office. I wonder if he read it all the way through um, or if it's a book of quotations or what in the world it is because it's, I mean, I can't imagine that Tom would have lifted these individual quotations just out of the text. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what this is. I'm going to have to go 
find it and look it up. Five five six nine six nine six. An American humorist of the late eighteen hundreds was born today. His name was Josh Billings, and he has the words to eat by today. They are never work before breakfast. If you have to work before breakfast, eat your breakfast first. Never been much of a breakfast eater. I mean, I do eat breakfast, but it's chocolate and nuts. But breakfast in the sense that. A lot of people really like breakfast. Tom was always a really big breakfast person. Or was it that he was a really big breakfast person for social reasons? Because he was always looking for someone to go to breakfast with him on the weekends. And when the kids were young, he always had breakfast companions, starting out with Shoney's. Saturdays would be breakfast with the kids. So they would he would take the kids out and they would do breakfast at Shoney's and be gone all day and it was great. And then in 1996, we went on our first family vacation and we went out west. And I was going to mention this yesterday, actually. I don't know the name of this place. I guess I could look it up while I'm talking, but I'm not really good at multitasking, as my daughter has said so many times. There is a state park. Well, we were talking about those hot springs yesterday. There's a state park in New, New Mexico. And I will look it up at the next break. A state park in New Mexico that is comprised of pools, little dipping pools that are maybe the size of swimming pools or even smaller, but they're like 800 feet deep and the water is ice cold and it's this really obscure state park that you got to go off the beaten path to find. Does anybody, has anybody ever done that state park? Call me if you have. It's a most interesting place. And I am going to look it up <clears throat> in a minute. But uh, that is one of the places we discovered on our first family vacation out west. And um, we also discovered the courtyard on that vacation. It was in Texas when Tom had us. Tom was always, I was also a five-star hotel person, and Tom was always a best Western kind of person. And I won eventually, but I remember the first family vacation we took, we were in this best Western in Dallas. And I just thought, okay, we're not, we're not doing this. So we moved to the courtyard and uh, that was where Mary Lee learned to swim in the pool. And that was where we learned about the courtyard breakfast, which was a definite step up from Shoney's. And so began the many years of the kids going to the courtyard for breakfast. And I remember uh, joining them sometimes, but we definitely did like the courtyard. This is so long ago. It really is bringing back memories. But there was a woman that used to make Mary Lee's bacon extra crispy for her just because. And they did that for years and years and years. Anyway, Tom is a very big breakfast person, always has been. 
And uh, and then it was just up to me to go to breakfast with Tom, and I only did it every now and then, but we're doing it a lot more. So uh, Tom would say that that is 100% correct, to have your breakfast as soon as you can and to always eat a big breakfast. And what's really weird about it is if Tom wasn't doing Saturday, he didn't eat breakfast. All he would eat is toast with jam on it. I feel kind of bad for Tom because I haven't gotten any toast for him to have jam. He's been eating like a gourmet breakfast with all of these leftover omelets. And um, he seems to like them rather well. He hasn't asked about toast or jam, but sometimes I feel like I ought to go get him some. But I don't because he needs, he doesn't need all that sugar. He eats too much, way too much sugar and always has. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. Another thing I wanted to, uh, I was thinking about this, Patty. Patty and I don't talk about the show. We sort of operate independently, although that's probably a bad idea, don't you think, Patty? <laughs> yeah, I think it probably is. <laughs> but one of the things that I wanted to pitch to you, Patty, to run down is the... Um, the Bluebell ice cream uh, advertising campaign, not so much the ice cream, which of course we'll talk about, but just the, the popularity of that particular campaign. Because every time I hear that song, I just go into this dream state and it's just this, you know, big smile and I just want to be in a hammock with a gallon of bluebell ice cream, even though I don't usually eat bluebell ice cream, but I just really do. I mean, it has that kind of emotional effect on me. By the way, Michael, it's, it's not raining here anymore. It's now sunny again. So there are campaigns that you only remember the product as an afterthought you're more interested in the campaign. And the reason I bring this up, and I do want to do that, Patty. I definitely okay. want to do that. But but I only bring that up because uh, today in the Almanac, Tom references one of maybe the best examples of that in my memory. It is uh, the birthday of Clara Peller who was the old lady in the Wendy's commercial that yelled, where's the beef? <laughs> I mean, that was a phenom back in its day. I don't remember what year that was. I think it was probably like the late 80s. But it was very big. And it. I, I would love to know how it's measured. And I'm sure it is measured. But... Um, that had to really, really increase sales for Wendy's. So that's what made me think about the, the Bluebell commercial because if she was born, Clara Pella was, today in 1917. So that would put her at, what, 104. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 5569696 five, six, nine, six, nine, six is the number. If you want to talk to me, I'm just here blathering on about food. I would love to blather with you. We have been talking sort of... Uh, peripherally about the following things on this show so far, besides Jane Austen and the way they cooked back in her day. It is National Banana Split Day. It's National S'mores Day. It's funny that, that it's also the birthday of Henri Nestle, who 
brought candy to the world with his milk chocolate formula because if it's National S'mores Day, that's made of, well, Hershey's milk chocolate, but obviously Nestle predated him. So we talked a little bit about chocolate chips, and then I started talking about my my um, burgeoning snobbery, as Steve calls it, of chocolate, which was innocently accrued, very innocently, I have to say. It was not like I decided I was going out to find the snootiest chocolate, although I am, in fact, a chocolate snob. I will say that. I do have the largest collection of global chocolate of the highest order here in this house and um, methodically go through it regularly. 5569696 is the number I want to mention before we go to the next break. A, I got a note from um, Carmen, the owner of uh, Pascal's Benelli, who asked me to promote the Tuscan wine dinner, which has just been canceled. I hope it's only postponed, but the new round of COVID everything, hysteria, I should say, the new round of COVID hysteria has caused uh, them to um, not have the Tuscan wine dinner. So if you called to sign up for that, um, I'm sure you were told that, but I'm not going to even promote that because it is not happening on August 18th, as I have been saying that it would be. However, they do want to remind you that the culinary lunch is still $25, three courses. It's delicious. And also the $45 culinary dinner is on as are so many others for the culinary, which ends, I think it goes into a September. It might go all the way through September. It's kind of like culinary itself has adopted the Pelican Club model, which is to extend it on both ends. So Pascal's Manali has a $25 culinary lunch that you should look at, three courses, and a $45 culinary dinner. So check out Pascal's Manali Culinary. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. We'll be back. Basil's Ace Hardware has been the center for your grilling needs for over 15 years. That's when I first got my big green egg, which I use more than ever lately. Fred also has Traeger grills and Weber grills and all the accessories for them. Charcoal and pellets and propane, as well as rubs and grilling utensils, Remember, a great cookout always begins with the right hardware. Basil's Ace Hardware, 4419 Transcontinental Metairie, 888-8588. Keith Young Steakhouse on the North Shore in Madisonville is everything anyone thinks of when a steakhouse comes to mind. The environment is elegant and handsome. The service staff is knowledgeable, attentive, and friendly. And most important, the steaks are superb. The steakhouse sides are also great. Keith Young Steakhouse, 165 Highway 21, Madisonville, 985-845-9940. You make me feel so young. Yes, indeed. You know, I, I, I inherited this from my mom, which is too bad because she had a lot of the best intentions, but a lot of times it didn't actually happen. So... When I went to the store today, I was going to get some of those tamales that um, I guess Paul mentioned yesterday. 
when he when he claimed to be a victim of the food show and my encouraging the canned tamales from Hormel. But I bought some um, some lettuce to make a Caesar salad. Let's go to Mike, who does not want me to keep him on hold very long. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello. I was listening the other day. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about chocolate. And on one particular day, you were talking about your interaction with a woman. And when you mentioned Ghirardella chocolate, she said something to the effect <laughs> that I don't eat cheap chocolate or something like that. Yes. Yes. Right, right. What, I'm, what I'm curious about, what makes chocolate superior? Is it the quality of the raw ingredients? A cacao, or is that what makes some chocolates better than other chocolates? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I would assume that it's very much like wine. It's the blending. It's the original ingredients. It's the sugar content. It's the... There's a huge disparity in the quality of grapes that are grown. And, yeah. and and the, what makes a, one wine superior over another wine, in addition to the wine making, is the intensity of the fruit. So that's why I'm wondering if there's certain raw chocolate, raw cacao, whatever that term is, that mm-hmm. has more more intensity. In other words, more a better raw ingredient to begin with, that gives the chocolatier the ability to make a better end product. Uh, with absolutely nothing to back up this statement, I would assume the answer to that is absolutely true. I've I've told this story before, and I I will say it again. There was a there's a place in um, Belgium in Brussels off the main Grand Place, and it, it's called um, Gosh, I'm trying to even think of the guy's name. It begins with an F, but anyway, it is a chocolate cafe and they have on the walls all the different regions of chocolate growers most of which is Ghana and West Africa but also other places and it describes all of the notes in each one of them and then you can order just like you would off a menu but it's just chocolate and um I think that that's it's 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 just like coffee I would think or tea or any of those agricultural products that depend on terroir I love that word and all of those other things but Mike I would love nothing better than to have a chocolate expert on if you'll permit me will the audience permit me to indulge in a chocolate expert well, I thought you basically had one when you had the Elmer's guy on. I mean, he sounded like he knew what he was what he was talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to I want to have him on again to talk about candy making in general. But um, I, 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 I bought <laughs> I bought my share of Godiva over the years for dates for mm-hmm. for girlfriends and all. You know, and you know, it always struck me even back like in the eighties, paying twenty five dollars for a pound of chocolate is a bit ridiculous. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, well, you're not into chocolate. Like I mean, how much do you really like it? No, I do like chocolate, but you know, I, I, what I'm getting at is, you know, it was a beautiful presentation with the gold box and all that. I guess mm-hmm. they were impressed with that. 
And those chocolates are filled chocolates, either you know with solid centers or soft centers. So mm-hmm. I get into the, the, I understand the creative aspect of all that, what you do with the chocolate to make it fancy. But when mm-hmm. it comes, you know, like I, I would eat Giordano chocolate and think this is really good chocolate. I mean, it wouldn't occur to me that it that it was in, inferior in any way. I guess is what my point is. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you have, know have what? You I'm to the point now where you can tell the Giordano is not as good as some other things that you're eating. Yes, yes. I think that the chocolate that I'm uh, currently enthusiastic about is uh, a superior chocolate. It's smoother. It's denser. I like, I, you can absolutely taste, you can seriously taste the difference in three degrees of sugar. Like I, I can absolutely taste the difference between the 88% and the 85%. I definitely I, can. I would, I would think that that difference accounts for it being um, more intense because of more cocoa and also and less, less, yeah. less and less sweet. But right. I don't know if that I don't know if that's a qualitative thing is what I'm getting at. No, I, I absolutely think that it it applies across the board with all the agricultural products and the nuances that go into it. Otherwise we wouldn't have such a gigantic market for all of this. You know, I mean, we have kind of a ridiculous amount of choices on all of this stuff. I mean, if you talk to a coffee person, they're going to talk about that. If you talk to a tea person there, I mean, it's kind of astonishing agricultural products and just the vagaries of of weather and all the things that go into I mean just like a bottle of wine this was a good year this was not a good year I mean all that stuff is fascinating to me but you know what I am definitely I have to say look I think that the Elmer's chocolate guy was really interesting and, and he probably could answer those kinds of questions, but that's not his focus. Right. Elmer's chocolate is a middle-of-the-road kind of everyman's chocolate. But well, I would me... really like to talk to someone who can really talk about the growing of chocolate and all that. I know just the person, and I'm going to ask him to uh, – I'm going to get him on, okay? We're okay. going to talk about the vagaries of it. What? Two more, two more quick things about mm-hmm. uh, product products. The uh, I heard, I think I heard you say that you were not at all certain once you got to eighty five percent cocoa that it went anything higher than that, and that it jumped all the way to a hundred. And now I heard you just say today that you you found something that's eighty eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I I was in Walmart the other day. Now I'm sure this Lint L I N D T probably falls yeah. into mm-hmm. the same category as your Delta. Yes. Yes. Chocolate knobs. Right. But <laughs> with, without any without any doubt, they had a ninety, they uh-huh. had a ninety five ninety five, uh-huh. and they had a ninety nine and a and a hundred. Oh really? Well you know what? I'm gonna go to Walmart and get all that so I can taste it myself. Yeah. A ninety, ninety five, ninety nine and a hundred. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the other at, at the other Walmart thing, they have that? Yes they do. The Walmart okay. over here on one ninety. Okay. Um, okay. Let me do it. We going, Lint we is a Swiss to, company, I believe. Go ahead. What? When we were going to Cancun, they had these chocolates available that were like little. They they look like little bottles of liquor, like they would give you on a plane. Mm-hmm. And the bottle the bottle itself was 
more often it was milk chocolate, but they did have some that were dark chocolate that mm-hmm. were actually filled with alcohol. They would either have tequila yeah. in them or rum in them. Uh-huh. And those things were just incredibly delicious. We just enjoyed the hell out of those. I've, I've never seen um, them around here. Have you? Have you seen I, them I haven't, but you see, that's not something I would look for because it has alcohol in it. I still, okay, so in addition now to going to get the Jimmy Dean sausage and the tamales and now the chocolate... I have to make bourbon balls. I mean, all these projects are stacking up. So I have to, uh, you know, the bourbon balls that Stan was talking about two weeks ago. I have to, yeah. I have to make some bourbon balls because so apparently consider, that's a thing too. Do you consider lint to be a, a, a quality chocolate, or do you think that I don't falls in care thing? for lint? I don't know uh-huh. why I don't, but it does. It's not. It's not all that pleasing to my palate. Now, I'm very curious. I am going to go get those bars, not tomorrow. Probably I won't have it by tomorrow. But And it behooves me to do this, doesn't it, Mike? I mean, it behooves yeah, yeah. me to go eat more chocolate for for for. It's just, ex- it's just like yeah. in, the wine wor- in the wine world, when we open a bottle of wine before it's time, we, we just say we, we've done it for science, you know? Okay. <laughs> so when I go have four chocolate bars, I'm going to say this is for research. I must do this. For the food that's what i'm gonna do yeah so anyway right. yes i i don't really i don't really up to this point i have to say that lint is not one of my favorites but maybe maybe the darker the better i'll have to see I'll you're have gonna to have see. to give me a heads up when you have your chocolate expert on so i make sure i don't miss the miss the show okay all right all right you Bye. mean you don't listen every day mike uh, i try but you know sometimes <laughs> you got to take care of business you know? <laughs> all right take care bye-bye Bye. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. That just about does it for us. I know exactly who I'm going to have on to talk chocolate. Probably two different people, because we do have some really exclusive chocolatiers here, and um, and they're 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 high level and they're expensive, but they're um, they're artisan. Of the highest order. Oh, Louis, uh, let's, I'm sorry, let's go to Louis real quick. Louise, Louise, is it Louise or Louis? Louis. 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 Hi, Louis. Oh, Louis. How are you, man? Hey, Louis. Louis Columnares. Yes, hey. Yes, hi, how are you? So I thought chocolate was uh, graded by the amount of grinding. If you grinded chocolate to where forever, it just kept on and kept on getting better. That's what mm. I always thought. Okay, you well, we're going to find out. The quality of the chocolate was how many times they actually grinded it thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner because it got more and more, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know, uh, flavors, I guess you want to call it. You I, know? I think there's um, more to it than that because if if it's being grown in certain parts of the no, world. No, I, I, know the growing, yeah. I know the growing part for sure. You know, when I was in France, they would combine certain amount of chocolates and certain yeah. ones from Ecuador, you yeah. know, and from Africa and things like that. Right. But, yeah. the, you know, when you eat a piece of chocolate and it's waxy yeah, and it doesn't seem like it's ground enough. But when you eat a piece of chocolate that is so well ground and it's so velvety and so, oh my gosh, you know, mm-hmm. melting your mouth and it's just, the flavors last forever. You yes. know, those are the chocolates that, that just get me, you know? Yes. Yes. What, what do you like? Which ones do you like? 
Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's the thing. I don't know if I like any of the ones that are store bought. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. You know, the one places like Sucre and places that had you know some fabulous chocolates. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, so, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna have to investigate this. I'm gonna no. I'm gonna suffer through it and and investigate it. But we'll we'll yeah. definitely have somebody on to talk chocolates very soon. All right. And then listen, the other day I told you about Mandina's restaurant in uh, 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 Spanish Fort, Alabama. And I said to you that Frank Laiusa was the owner. No, it's Frank Marcello is the owner. Frank, the owner Frank the Marcello is the o- is, has a place out yeah. in, in Alabama? No kidding. Okay. Yeah, Frank Marcello, huh. yes. Okay. And, uh, wow. and, uh, and his yeah, he's the Mandeville is, uh, guy. He's the Mandeville guy. Yeah, yeah. Matthew Ahern. All right. Matthew Ahern and him used to do a lot of the Copeland's restaurants together. Uh huh. Interesting. And, That's uh, good. Goodness. In the restaurant, I'm decorating okay. it, and Frank okay. is the uh, cool. When does it open? Real quick, because I you have to. We're done. When does it? End of the month. End of the month. Okay. Thank you, Louise. I appreciate you calling wow. always. Okay. All right. We are done. I want to mention that you should go to nomenu.com, N-O-M-E-N-U.com. Patty, I'm keeping all of them to myself. That's what I'm, I'm afraid keep- of. Patty just, <laughs> Patty sent me a text saying, if you get chocolate samples, you better send some my way. No, because because you're not all that into chocolate. You're just a sweets person. Oh, no, I love chocolate. All right. I'll think about it. All right. <laughs> That's it for the show. Nomenu.com at the New Orleans menu. Tim McNally is up next with the Dine, Wine, and Spirits show. It is WGSO New Orleans, 4 o'clock. Good night. USA Radio News with Tim Berg. President Biden and Vice President Harris are cheering the passage of a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill in the Senate. After years and years of infrastructure week, we're on the cusp of an infrastructure decade that I truly believe will transform